Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers with whatever writing ailments you might have. Whether it's related to your craft or your career, we can help. Are you ready for your session? The The doctors doctors are are in. in. Hey, Tom. So the end of the year is fast approaching, and it's been kind of a wild one in the last it quarter. It has been. <laughs> it's like um, heads are rolling, and things are just up and down all over the place, and Hollywood's uh, a turmoil. It just seems like... Uh, actually, Clownfish TV did a story on what's going on out there, and I'll put a link in the notes to it. And it's kind of like... Um, with Warner Brothers is kind of like leading the pack on all this turmoil because they, they've been cutting a lot of shows and it's been in the news a lot. And I, you know, they said it has to do with a lot of um, in, in the last couple of years during the pandemic, there was like tons of money sh- thrown at streamers to produce content because everybody's watching so much content and they were just like, it was like all VC money, venture capital. And so they mm-hmm. started making all kinds of programs for all kinds of niche markets and they didn't really have huge audiences. Like they were talking about like some audiences were like, you know, talk, counting in the thousands, not not even like the hundreds of thousands, but the tens of thousands. So some of those shows are just, you know, that were real niche. And in, like, in some cases, those are really targeted, very small, diverse communities. The, a lot of those got cut and are getting cut, which then makes it kind of look bad. The optics are bad because they they went through so much money at it that they made a lot of shows and now they're, they're kind of facing the fact that they're not making money and they have to cut something. So it, it just but looks before bad. You yeah. continue, before you yeah. continue, and honestly, the Warner Brothers thing got so bad that remember you sent me that article that was like actors, you know, agents were telling their actors like don't audition for their projects right now. But where have we heard this before? Oh, HBO and Netflix have also earlier in the year, but have been yeah. going through similar things, perhaps not on the scale of, of Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers is surprising because it's such a, uh, you know, it's one of the big studios, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Netflix is compared to them a newer, you know, entity. But I think that's why it's so shocking because you're like, oh, my gosh, this is Warner Brothers. They're like, you know, established. Yeah. They're like up there with Disney and Paramount and all those other places. So for them to have these issues is big. But yes, this is kind of not something new it's just surprising because you didn't expect it from such an established place yeah there's been a lot of qbs out there that have come and gone quickly and things that were sold and then turned around or renamed or um there was another article about g4 the gaming network i used to watch that a lot actually it was kind of cool but um they got bought by uh somebody who uh, who was it that bought them um tried Comcast, I think, or something like that, tried to revive it. It didn't get the the ratings. And now those 45 people just found out via Twitter that they all lost their jobs like Sunday. And what a horrible way. Like you would think they would at least be like, okay, guys, like we'll have a closed meeting and then we'll put it on social. Yeah, it was like immediate. Yeah. Yeah. Like surprise, you're gone. Oh, thanks. Ouch. Like like zero, zero wind down time. It was just like, I guess they're just cutting it like completely. Mm-hmm. But so yeah, I mean, so it's be, been crazy. Yeah, I mean, and I was going to say, so part of this, I think, ties into, we have so many topics to cover, really, with what's going on with the studios, but transparency. You know, one of the big things that they've been complaining about for a, a while is that the streamers don't have transparency when it comes to 
mm-hmm. how their shows are doing. And now finally, I believe they have to be open because advertisers want them to be open because they're not going to put their money down if they don't know how well a show really is doing. And it's easy enough for Netflix to say, it makes me wonder, you know, like, for example, they say, oh, Stranger Things is the most watched show or whatever. But is it really or is it just because you wanted to pick that one and push that one forward to be the most watched? Because we Mm -hmm. don't really have concrete numbers. We don't have Nielsen ratings. We don't have, you know, we don't have the advertiser eyeballs on it to like say, you know, there's just no statistics and they've been getting away with it for quite some time. Right. They can cherry pick the stats to, you know, promote their stuff. But then that doesn't mean anything for for, um, you know, comparative to other things. Because they're also, since they're just streaming, it's all about total views over a certain period of time versus, you know, TV has had to do things like, you know, there's same day watching, same day plus seven days of streaming and on demand. The the networks, uh, Nielsen really had to come up with a way to really track all of that and kind of, um, and it actually made a big difference. Once they started, you know, tracking like um, on-demand and DVR viewing, I don't even know anyone uses a DVR anymore, actually. It's all just on-demand, I think. But streaming mm-hmm. and on-demand and DVR, once they started calculating that, it really made a big difference because some shows literally got saved by the DVR viewing. Like the night of viewing was like, maybe they came in like fifth in the, in the ratings. But then when they calculated all the people that watched it within the next you know week, it was like seconds, you know? So, so some shows really got saved um, by having proper ratings. And, you know, now that Amazon and Disney plus are going to be launching their, you know, advertising supported tiers, you know, they're going to need to, you know, to evaluate that to decide, you know, instead of just saying we have a big bucket of money and we're going to spend it on all these different shows, they now have actual, you know, you know, usable data to say whether a show is profitable or not, because they'll be having advertisers and they'll have eyeballs and they'll be able to do the calculations to decide. So it's less about, you know, well, we get a lot of viewers of this show, so it's good for our subscriber base to, you know, keep our subscriber base. Versus, you know, advertisers knowing that they have so many eyeballs on it and then the the network is making advertising money. So there's a one to one ratio of we're making this much money on this specific show instead of just kind of all in one big bucket. Yeah. And it also it makes a difference for writers as well, because as we've talked about in the past, especially with streamers going all the time, you don't have the normal, you know, before you could be like staffed on a show for like the fall, you knew you had a break coming up maybe in the summer and you'd go back in the in the uh, winter or something like that. Right. I just mixed up my seasons here. But you know what I'm trying to say? I was like, yeah. wait, fall, summer, winter. But you know what I'm trying to say? Like you knew the breaks, you knew uh, where you would be at a certain time. But because of streaming going all the time, you know, sometimes writers miss out on other opportunities because they're busy on this, you know, show that has a weird, you know, it's writing from March to June or something. I don't know, you know, but just mm-hmm. a, a not the normal season and not having those ratings, I think also hurts writers because how do you know if your show is good or not? You don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have reviews. Like, yeah. Yeah. You have reviews, but you don't know the popular vote. And I would argue that it's the popular vote that gets you another season. The eyeballs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Well, it also helps writers to to have the statistics because um, like Amazon and Netflix in the last year both had to settle 
uh, up with the WGA over unpaid residuals. So all the shows that have already been run and continue to get watched, you know, they weren't paying the writers properly. And it's in the it's yeah. millions of dollars, like tens of millions. I think it's like Netflix was like 40 million and then Amazon was like 4 million. And that's a lot of money that writers, you know, should have had in their pockets already. So with transparency, you know, the WGA and all the, the studios will all know exactly what's happening and be able to calculate those things properly. And that was a big question I always had when the streamers, you know, the rise of the streamers came along is how are writers getting paid when you don't know how many people are watching it when it was all based on ratings and eyeballs and revenues from advertising? Mm -hmm. That whole subscription, you know, basis is really hard to calculate. So you don't know who's subscribing to watch which show. You could, I mean, for like something like Game of Thrones, you could kind of guess because, you know, the month that Game of Thrones would come out with a new season, there'd be a huge spike in subscribers. You could attribute a lot of those to Game of Thrones. It wasn't an exact science, but, you know, you knew that that was was an effect, uh, a cause and effect kind of thing. And I have to wonder, I mean, I don't know, but if you're doing like, say, 15 bucks a month, this is pre them introducing ads, which is a whole nother story. But, you know, let's say you're paying 15 bucks a month. How do you even divvy up the residual pile off that if you're not being open about the numbers? Well, they had the numbers internally, you know, because they would have, you know, knew who was watching which stream and how many times and for how long. So they had the ca they could calculate that internally. But if it's not open, then it's, you know, it's their word, I guess, you know, their yeah. data against the world, you know, your data or whatever, but you don't have any data. So, I mean, isn't this kind yeah. of, I mean, I know this is more acting related, but isn't this kind of related to why uh, Scarlett Johansson was going after Disney mm -hmm. when I think it was Black Widow came out on streaming and she's like, you don't have the numbers like you didn't, you promised me this, mm -hmm. but now you have no data to back up how well the, the film is doing. Wasn't that part of it? Or am I thinking about this? It's wrong? it's similar. Yeah. It, it has to do yeah. with that. Um, it had to do with the fact that it was during the pandemic and they were going, uh, they put it out in the theaters and then on streaming really close you know, together so that she was, wouldn't get as much money from the box office side of her deal. Mm -hmm. I, it was kind of like that. It was before the, the big stars were getting compensated based on streaming versus theater. Cause most of their deals were still based on theatrical. You know, the pandemic kind of threw that all into chaos when the studio started putting stuff on their streamers like weeks, you know, either sometimes at the same time, but then, you know, other times it was like, you know, weeks or just a month or so after it was out in the theaters. Very hard to calculate because if you do it that close together, a lot of people are like, I'm not going to go pay $20 to see it at the movie theater. I'll just wait, wait a month and watch it at home. So that oh, was a yeah, big difference. Of course. They yeah. did do that. They did have that. Disney hasn't done it in a while, but they did do it for, you know, a few films like Mulan where you could pay like $30 to watch it at home the same day it was in the theaters. Those kinds of things. Um, those kinds of uh, uh, premium, you know, on, you know, day and day kind of screening kind of things. They they got a big premium for that, which I would never pay for. But then, you know, again, a couple months later, it was available as part of the, the subscription package. I was like, wait a minute. Did Mulan come out in the theaters? I didn't think it did. I mean, I watched it at home, but I feel like it because that was like during the height of the pandemic when you really couldn't go. I'd have to look it up. But yeah, I think I thought it did go into theaters at some point. Maybe after. I feel like there were a couple like that one and maybe Wonder Woman 1984 where you just paid 
like you would have paid for a ticket, but you watched yeah. it at home because you couldn't go to the theater. But I could be wrong. You know, it's 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 all a big blur now. <laughs> like the last couple of years, I'm like, I don't know. I just assumed the theaters were closed. But um, yeah. it did go into theaters. It had a limited it theatrical oh. release. It made 70 oh, million okay. in the theaters, not including the money they made from Disney when Disney put it on Disney Plus. So it was kind of a financial flop. Yeah. Well, when you say limited, do you mean limited in, ter- limited in terms of time or limited in terms of where they put it? I don't know. I don't. I mean, usually oh, when they okay. say limited, it usually means uh, the number of screens because there were only so yeah. many screens open um, at that point in the pandemic. It might have been it launched internationally in some countries that weren't in lockdown. Mm, okay. That kind of thing. But I mean, I think at that time, probably all the L.A. theaters were closed. Yeah, it was not it was not being screened uh, domestically as, you know, not in the big markets like New York and L.A. were shut down. So those are the two biggest markets, because I feel like our theaters didn't really reopen until maybe mid 2021. I feel like there was a lot of false starts. And even if they were open, people were like, I ain't going. So, yeah, I feel like they really didn't open until like maybe mid 2021 or later. So yeah, I'm just wondering, have the theaters actually rebounded yet? You know, like it looks like, uh, oh, here it is 2019. Yeah, 2019, over a billion tickets were sold. But then in 2021, it was only 500 million. And this year it's it's getting closer. I was going to say a couple of theaters actually declared bankruptcy. I I believe I want to say Cinemark. They got bought by somebody. Everybody, yeah, they might have climbed. They might have gone bankrupt, but it seems like everybody got bought by somebody. So, Mm, uh, so all those theaters aren't necessarily closed. They're just owned by different people. Okay. But this year, it says they're they're on track to get 848 million tickets. So about 85 percent of where they were, you know, before the pandemic. So they have not rebounded yet. I would be so curious to know what movies are coming out now that like the percentage of what was like, these are the movies that were in the the queue before the pandemic. And they're just like trying to, you know, get oh, them out there. At what point like, we we're getting sh- like fresh post-pandemic yeah. Con- content? Yeah, like when when are we done with the like stuff that was already shot before the pandemic? I don't know. Just, uh, just recently, uh, Marvel pushed back a whole bunch of dates. I mean, they're talking about pushing movies into 2026 at this point on, in some cases. <laughs> that may be a whole nother story about Marvel and fatigue with their films and just trying to space oh, them out more. Yeah. Yeah. Cause their recent films haven't done as well just cause people are just, I don't know. They're just getting hammered with film after film. It seems like from Marvel and they're just not, they're not like, I think you need a little time for, you know, uh, to kind of want to see the next film. If you go from mm-hmm. film to film to film month after month, it doesn't seem as exciting as an eventful. But yeah. maybe we should do a whole episode on that. That's a whole different <laughs> story. Well, I but. mean, but that also, I think you and I have talked about this, maybe even off podcast, where I was like, well, but how many of these movies were already ready to go and would have been released and then had to be delayed because the theaters were closed and they didn't know what to do with them? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just wondering when they're running out of that back stock and they're like, OK, these are fresh ones. And then you're like, OK, stop it with the Marvel movies, please. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but so other I was going to say, so other crazy things happening with the studios, going back to Warner Brothers, the cutting of the writers and directors fellowships, and then the retraction of it less than 24 hours later. Wham, that was a whiplash. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, that you know, you and I both were were talking about it the day it happened. How we have to do an episode on this because it's you know this huge thing that we've you know our whole time in LA that we've been trying to get into the writers' room, so to speak. That was one of the key things we always did. We always submitted to that program, and then it was suddenly going to be gone. But then it wasn't. (laughs) Okay, so just just to go back to clarify for people who maybe don't know what we're talking about, a lot of the big networks, so CBS, NBC, um, and they've kind of emerged like NBC Universal, Mm -hmm. uh, ABC Disney, you know, stuff like that. But a lot of them have different fellowships for actors, writers, directors. They're called pipeline programs. Some of them even have them for executives, uh, for people who want to be showrunners. Like it's kind of like whatever niche you're thinking of they might have one definitely for actors, writers, directors, and then producers and, you know, maybe some other people as well. But these programs are invaluable. I know I've been out here quite some time now and I know a lot of people who've gone through the programs and it's helped them. Um, I myself have placed in one of the programs. I've been interviewed for a couple others and I've been a finalist in a couple of them. And I know like when you get in them, it does increase your visibility and it just gives you that confidence boost, you know, and I Mm -hmm. have friends who've because they've done it, they've gone on to bigger and better things, Uh, been acting and in writing, you know, stuff like that. So they are a big deal. And especially for minorities who were like, hello, we can't even get our foot in the door to begin with. So, yeah, cutting it was a big, big deal. Yeah, there was actually an article the day it happened by. um it was Akila Cooper. She's this writer producer um, who has a new movie coming out called Megan. It's a kind of a horror sci-fi thing. And she was talking about how she actually went through the program. So here she is. She's worked on all these big, big, amazing movies. And she like literally is like, that's what got me my, my start. And so it's kind of, it was kind of like a, this big gut wrenching thing for her to see that program, you know, be cut. Of course, again, it's back. And and actually, one of the interesting things about why it's back, because I, I was reading about it, mm-hmm. legally, they have to have it. <laughs> it's a deal that with the... That was for the directors. That was the, that was the, the director. Director's Guild. Right. Yeah. You're right. So the in theory, they could have cut the writer's program, but the directors were like, you you promised us this. It, it's in on. the Writer's Guild contract with the studios that they have that program. Yeah. And I have a feeling that the Writer's Guild would have just been like, you're really going to not cut theirs and cut <laughs> ours? I think... Yeah. I think there was a lot of this. Are you, did you think about this? <laughs> a lot of people were probably like, so you're cutting your biggest diversity programs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a, yeah, a lot of people made a lot of phone calls that day. They reversed course right away. You know, we were talking about, you know, how much money does that kind of program cost? And I think it's a huge benefit to the studios, but I don't think it's a huge expense, to be honest. I mean, I mean, I don't know numbers, but like, okay, so if you think about it, a lot of the expense, okay, first of all, it depends on the program. It depends on the network. Some of them are more generous than others. Mm -hmm. But in general, like the best programs would pay you for your time. So like if you're acting with them or if you're writing with them for your duration, whatever, four months, six months, they would pay for your time. Maybe not your travel, but they would definitely compensate you like you're working for them. Um, Mm -hmm. So those would be like the best programs. And then, of course, they have to, you know, vet everybody. You go through the auditions or you go through the screening processes and then, you know, they have to interview you and stuff. So there's the manpower behind Mm -hmm. that. But really, it would just be the cost of paying you for your time. Right. And so, I mean, like, it's basically like they're just hiring on a staff writer and they probably pay you less 
than a veteran staff writer anyway. So it's not like, and they're not going to give you benefits. So they're not paying that. So yeah, I it's mean, mostly really, like a stipend kind of thing, like an intern thing while you're in the program. It, it really depends on the program. Some give yeah. you a stipend, some actually pay you a salary, some do not pay you. So right. it really just depends. Um, I don't know what the Warner Brothers one. It's it's been a while since I've looked at that one. But um, even if they did pay you, you know, a salary, it's only for like what four to six months. You're not getting benefits, and you're not getting the same pay as a veteran writer anyway. So, are they really saving that much money? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, and considering they're like dumping like seventy million dollar movies that they've already basically produced you know how how much can a writer's program compare to that yeah not and when you think about it 1%. too when you think about it too like how how easy is it like if they were like okay we need to find new writers for these new shows or new films you have this built-in program so you're like you were already going to spend the money on the hiring anyway and now you have vetted writers so you've just mm-hmm. saved yourself in the future having to like go through the hiring process again. I don't know. I just, I'm like, yeah, come on guys. Image wise, it just makes the studios look better. You know, just we're doing everything we can to promote diverse voices and, and underrepresented, you know, uh, segments and stuff like that. It's extremely uh, beneficial um, to everybody involved. Really. It's, it's a win-win. I think that's, I think that's basically why they retracted, because even if it was a super bloated program and they were like, oh, my gosh, it's costing us 50 million dollars, which I doubt that it looks bad, especially now after Me Too and being woke and everything that they're like, and let's cut the only diversity program for people to get in. You know, Mm -hmm. let's raise that glass ceiling higher. You know, I mean, it's the kind of thing every writer has on their calendar. You know, it's like. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a list of when do I have to submit my, you know, my spec script for Warner Brothers or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of like an annual ritual. You know, and again, then they would just have to go, you know, go through another process to hire writers. What's a better way than 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 that? I think I think it's a great program. I mean, and good on the DGA for having that language in their contract. If they didn't, I wonder if Warner Brothers would have continued to just ax the program. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, because it it was yeah, because it was really because they caught that loophole that they were like, "Uh, eh, you can't do it." And then of course they're like, "Okay, we'll keep the whole thing and switch it into our DEI initiatives, you know. Okay, that's fine." But mm-hmm. if if the DGA didn't have that protection in there, I wonder if they would have been like, "Okay, bye line item, you know." Yeah. Well, studios are required through the WGA's contract to use a certain number of like freelance writers, which is supposed to be, you know, translated into new writers or, you know, writers who haven't been, you know, uh, produced yet or, you know, haven't had as much success. But a lot of times those quote unquote freelance positions, those, those freelance scripts are, are doled out to established writers from other, you know, places that, you know, already, you know, they, maybe they just don't have a show on the, on, you know, TV right now, but they've done mm. stuff in the past. So, uh, or you bring in celebrity writers, you know, to like, you know, like a William Gibson or, or, you know, you know, Tom Hanks or whatever, somebody crazy to bring in to, to do a special episode of a certain show. Mm -hmm. You know, those, those sometimes don't get to the, um, the, uh, the freelance writers that they were originally designed to go to. 
which are they're supposed to be the ones that are, you know, out there, you know, hey, I wrote a spec script for your show. What do you think? Yes, this is good. You know, we'll run it, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Crazy, crazy times. And I have yeah. a feeling because of the backlash, no other network would even dare think about cutting their program now. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Speaking of cutting, oh, did you hear Cartoon Network is cutting a huge number of people? They've been laying off people a lot. So sorry, Cartoon Network. I vaguely saw something about that. Yeah. yeah Cartoon okay, Network. so fill, fill us in. What's happening? Well, that's all I know. I, I, <laughs> like, I, that's it. Bye. I heard a rumor uh, that Cartoon <laughs> Network was laying, laying people off. So, oh well, they're part of they're part of Warner Brothers, so that's just okay. <laughs> kind of part of the cuts they're going. That makes sense. It used to be Cartoon Network was a huge, huge. I mean, like, like when you thought about basic cable, they were like you know pretty huge. But it's kind of I don't know if it's died down because again, market segmentation. You know, uh, people going to other entertainment you know avenues, streamers and and gaming and you know TikTok and what have you. Wait a sec. Does Warner Brothers have a streaming service? Do they yeah, have an app? It's HBO Max. It's... HBO. Oh, see, everybody's yeah. so like intertwined that I like don't even know who the parent companies are. So Warner Brothers and HBO are yes. are connected. Yes, oh, that's why that. all the um all the uh, Warner Brothers DC Comics stuff winds up on HBO Max because they do all that. They're part of that whole the DC stuff. Because remember, Warner Brothers um, used to have DC Universe which is where they put all the comic book stuff, which is their separate streamer. Uh-huh. That's gone now. That got wrapped up into, into HBO Max as well. Okay, but HBO... Okay, if I remember right... Sorry, forgive me here. It's I don't like to follow. There's too many things. Um, HBO Max is different than HBO, the, the apps, right? Uh, they're is, they're is very similar. H, HBO, HBO Max is really the streaming service that contains everything on HBO, the cable network. Okay, because it's a very specific yeah. branding, and I don't think Cartoon Network stuff appears on HBO Max. Am I correct? I don't think so. Uh, I think it's its yeah, own separate that's a network. Very, yeah. That's a very specific branding. That's why I was surprised when you just said that, because I'm like, really? I wouldn't have put them together. Because I don't, like I said, I don't know who all the parent companies are. Um, so that's interesting, and it's that would make sense. It's a tangled web that, way. that they've woven, yeah. yeah. I mean, in in a way, it's like they would just need to create their own new app under Warner Brothers and then put Cartoon Network stuff up on there. Because I, I just couldn't imagine that content on HBO. That's weird. You right. Know, it's like no, and HBO does have a, a specific, you know, standard kind of an image that they stick to pretty straightforward. They have put some of the um, Warner Brothers content on HBO, um, but mm-hmm. most of it's just HBO Max. You know, if you subscribe to HBO, the cable channel, you do get access to HBO Max. But I don't think it works the other way. If you subscribe to HBO Max, I don't think you you get you don't get HBO cable. But everything on HBO cable is kind of in HBO Max anyway. So it's ah, it's very yeah yeah. Gosh, that Uh, is just too much. Oh my gosh! Wow, I learned something new today. Warner Brothers owns HBO, guys. Okay. Crazy. Huh. And so with Cartoon Network, they're laying off people. There was like another what does four, that... 45 people or something oh were let gosh. go. That's crazy. It was 82 people were let go. And then 
they also had positions they hadn't filmed, filled like 40 positions they hadn't filled that they decided they weren't going to film. So you know, 120 people in general wouldn't that that could have had jobs won't. Do you know which positions? Was it more like admin or was it like I don't know specifically. A couple top or... executives got laid off. Uh-huh. But, you know, it, it's it's probably across the board if they're cutting back on their content development. Because that's what a lot and of you know, this is. A lot of it is all we spent we spent too much money on original content. Yeah. But you know the sad thing about this, okay, and especially now specifically speaking to animation is um animation i don't think still does not have the protections that it should under yeah. like the writers guild and in general like i think it's still kind of viewed as like you know the redheaded stepchild sort of thing mm-hmm. last i knew you know pre-pandemic i i think they're coming a long way but they're still not the, the fight's not over for like right anima- there's like animation parts of writing. parts of animation have been captured under wga but not all of it yeah. And and as a general, you know, anybody in animation, be it writers or, you know, artists or whatever, are usually not paid as much as other people doing comparable things in other parts of the industry. And so it kind of is sad to hear that a place like Cartoon Network would be letting people go. Or, you know, I know, like, for example, Netflix cut back on a lot of their animation because now... You're already in a market that's being underpaid, and now there's a glut of talent like joining, so they're really going to get mm. undervalued. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like that's that's really sad to hear. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the I think what you're going to see across Hollywood in general is we had a ton of money that came in. They made a whole bunch of shows across all the different genres, which required a lot of people, and and now and but you know there's like the questions of whether or not it's quantity versus quality kind of thing. So now they're mm-hmm. they're all starting to kind of pull back and be more like HBO, where you don't do as many shows, but you you know you put a lot of money into them and make sure they're high quality, like a Lord of the Rings kind of thing. Well, we could argue is Lord of the Rings really high quality? People well, are not happy. I mean, with it that looks show. really good. It looks yeah, like it, it looks, looks good. It was a really beautiful show, but yeah. you know that's where the money's going. So you're paying all those people to work on one show. And it's an event. This goes back to the 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 Marvel problem. Is like that's an event. Like it's going to happen now, and you're not going to have it for a couple of years. You know that's going to draw in the viewers. That model versus the Netflix model of let's make every show we can possibly think of for every little niche to get every eyeball we can, where mm-hmm. they don't promote individual shows very much. You know, outside of you know some trailers and things. I've seen a lot of trailers for Netflix shows on YouTube lately, actually. But the funny thing is, this is basically bringing streamers back to broadcast. Exactly. That is the broadcast model. The pendulum. You don't put as many, yeah, you don't put as many shows out. It's, it's even like the same thing with films, right? Like, do you remember, um, do you ever see uh, The Holiday? No. Do you remember The Holiday with uh, Kate Winslet and Cameron Diaz? No, I never saw that. Oh, you've never seen it. It's it's really cute. It's a rom-com. But there's a part where when they switch houses, um, Kate Winslet meets a guy who is a former writer in the golden age of Hollywood. And he actually makes a comment about like he looks at the newspaper. He's looking at the trades and he makes a comment about like back in my day, 
we only had six pictures come out like in a year, but now there's such a glut that every movie has to make a killing in the first week or it's considered a failure. Mm-hmm. And that was like back in, I don't even know, like 10 years ago, like that comment was made. So, I mean, yeah, it's true. They considered it a flop if it, you know, our budget of 50 million, it only made 49 million back. Well, maybe don't put out 20 movies in a year that all cost 50 mil, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I mean, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's all coming full circle. We're going back to the broadcast and like Disney pioneered it. Disney plus instead of putting it all out in one swoop, let's put it out week by week yep. or HBO, same thing because it keeps people subscribing to the thing, you mm-hmm. know? So we yes. are going back Disney to the broadcast plus is, model. Is- is the trickle model is, is infuriating me <laughs> actually. <laughs> so, so then there's people like me who do the uh, wait, wait three months and then subscribe and watch it all in one month. Yeah. That's the other idea. But then there's always yeah. something new coming up, but it's, it's, it's one show at a time every month or two rather yeah. than a whole bunch of shows all at once that you can't keep up with. Yeah. yeah. Well, and don't even get me started on Netflix going to the, okay, we'll cut back your subscription to half, but now we'll show you ads. Oh, yeah. 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 I've been trying out Peacock and it's it doesn't even have a, an ad free version and it's driving me crazy. And you're like, why did I even subscribe? There's ads. I, I bought it to not have the ads. Yeah, a super cheap deal, actually. They had like a $20 for a year. So I figured... What the heck? Oh. I wanted to, I wanted to see I wanted to see Jurassic World Dominion finally, and it was on there. Oh, so I figured other... that's a whole other episode we have to do. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say we're very late to the party on that one, but yeah. So I have I think I've almost tried every every streamer now. I think I've done almost all of them at this point. Oh, you're a better man than me. I'm like yeah. I cannot even keep up with it. <laughs> I'm a poorer man than you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's I mean, but it's it's funny, isn't it? Like, you know, that they're coming around like full circle and and doing that whole thing with the the ads and stuff. And I would love if they ever are that transparent, but I don't think they will be. I would love to know, okay, what part of the subscription money goes where? You know, mm-hmm. because everybody wants, you know, the producers need their cut, the writers need their cut, the actors need their cut. Everybody needs a cut. And it makes me wonder then also, and this would be a whole nother conversation, if some of, okay, like these big, you know, like Scarlett Johansson's Marvel movie, that's going to be union. But some of these have to be coming in under non-union where the, the actors got paid a flat fee and stuff and there's no residuals because I cannot see how a subscription model would work otherwise. You know yeah, what I mean? We, yeah, we really need to get someone in who understands that inside. Yeah accounting better than we do to on the show for an episode that'd be really interesting to learn about yeah i would i would bet you anything in fact i know for a fact that a lot of like say like those z kind of movies on netflix they're probably Mm non-union which means like they paid their people once that movie goes up and then any money that netflix makes off it probably just maybe it goes back a little bit into the producer's pocket but in general they probably mm-hmm. don't see anything. So that would be interesting too, because that changes how that changes how the, the market looks for us as well. Um, because a lot of us rely on residuals. I don't. And with that, I'd have that to is sell the something. state of the industry. I'd have to sell <laughs> something to, sell to, something get, to, get, to get, get a residual. Yeah. yeah. And that is the state of the industry right now. It's very weird. Been a, it's been an interesting year. Yeah. A it's going to be interesting to see where it goes from here. Yeah. All right. Until next time. 
Yeah, if you guys have any thoughts on what's happening in Hollywood, let us know. Uh, you can find us online, Instagram, Twitter, and all that good stuff at WG Therapy or online, writersgrouptherapy.com. Let us know what we're thinking, and we will see you guys soon. Bye.